morning. My name is Liesl, and I've been asked to do our scripture reading. So can you please turn with me to John 1, John 1, verse 1 to 18. Let's read together. John 1, verse 1 to 18 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Thanks, Lisa, for bringing us that reading. And that's uh, one, of the, one of a number of readings that we'll be looking at today. Uh, I'm pretty excited about today because we're starting a new series that's going to go for the rest of the term and it's called Truths That Transform Uh, and the idea is that uh, the Bible has just bucket loads of awesome truths contained in it and often we just assume that we know what they are and what they mean and how they land for us and the difference they make and I just I, I just want to push back on that a little bit. I don't think we do often know as much as we need to know, so it's good to look at them some more in some greater detail. And, and the conviction is this, as the title says, if these truths that are in God's word actually really land, they will transform our lives. They will make a huge difference uh, at multiple levels, from the day to day to the future, near future, distant future, eternal future, all of the above. So... Uh, That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And today we're looking at the truth of revelation. So let me me just uh, lead us in prayer because that truth in and of itself says we need to to be shown who God is and what he's like. We don't have that power within our own grasp to penetrate and reach into and understand God just by ourselves. We need his help. So prayers where we start. Let's do that together. Father, we thank you so much that though we are dependent and needy to understand who you are and what you are like, 
Uh, as we've already prayed, you have not left us in the dark. You have made yourself known. And um, yeah, Father, we just pray that by the work of your spirit, we will see that today in our lives, uh, individually and collectively. And not only that we'll see that, but we'll see the implications of that and what that means for us and uh, what that says about you ultimately. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've had the experience of forming a picture of someone over a period of time which turns out to be miles off, not just a little bit off, but miles off what they're actually like when you finally meet them. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. You know, you, you've kind of heard bits and pieces about someone from maybe various sources and you've reached certain conclusions about them only to discover when you actually meet them, when they've spoken to you, when they've actually made themselves known to you personally, that you were way off the mark, you were not even close. Had that experience? Sure, many of you have. That, friends, is an example of the truth that we're looking at today in our new series, series, Truths That Transform. We're looking at this truth of revelation, which is the truth that, that kind of uh, explains this. It, it means that to have a relationship with anyone, to know someone genuinely and authentically, they need to make themselves known to you for that to happen, and the reverse is the same, of course. For them to have a relationship with you, you need to make yourself known to them. In other words, you need a revelation of who they are in order to genuinely know them. Now, revelation in the Bible means simply means unveiling something that is hidden. Unveiling something that is hidden. The word that's used in the New Testament is the word apocalypto, from which we get the word apocalypse, which again is the idea of making known or revealing religious realities. And today we're looking, about, looking at that in relation to God himself, to God making himself known. And what, is that, what that means for us in terms of us knowing him, what it means for us when, we, when it comes to having a relationship with God. You see, do we have to just go through life putting a few bits and pieces together about God, forming a kind of picture of him of, that could turn out to be way off the mark? Or is it possible for us to actually know who he is and what he's like? Is it possible then for us to have a relationship with God? And if so, how? Has he made himself known? And if so, where? And in what way? Is there revelation of God that you and I can experience so that we can truly know him. Friends, I want to suggest to you that this is one of the ways, a number of them, but this is one of the ways that Christianity is totally unique among all the religions of the world. It's not a religion of us somehow trying to make our way to God, trying to discover him. 
No, Christianity is entirely the result of God making himself known to us and us responding to him. So, how has he made himself known? In what way and where? Well, there are two key ways. Uh, we can't cover you know, the whole topic, but there's two key ways we're going to look at this morning as to where God has made himself known. And the first is in creation. He has given us revelation in his creation, that is, in what he has made. And we see that in a couple of places. We're going to jump around a little bit today. They'll be on the screen, but if you like to jump around on your phone or in your Bible, jump away. That'll be fine. Um, Here's the first place that we see this kind of an idea, that God has made himself known through what he's made in his creation. Have a look at those verses, particularly verses 1 to 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, and so on. What we see here is that there is constant, consistent revelation about God just in what he has made. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, that is everything underneath it, or the sky, proclaims his handiwork. Notice it never stops. Day to day, verse 2, it pours out speech. And night to night, it reveals knowledge. Never stops. Now, as we sit here, as you sit here this morning, it's happening. The creation is declaring the glory of God as you and I sit here this morning. Tonight, when the sun goes down, it's going to do it in a different way. Whatever you're doing, it's continuing, it's happening. From time to time, we may go outside or we may go camping or we may do all sorts of things where we have some time to reflect and we find ourselves perhaps looking up at the heavens and the stars and it's happening. And you know what? While you and I are completely out to it, that is, snoring away with our heads on our pillows, it keeps happening. This revelation keeps going 24-7, 365 days of the year. It's constant. Notice also that it's comprehensive. Verse 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun. It's constant, but it's comprehensive because it's cosmic. It's also global. It's also global. It reaches everyone. There is no voice. Where this, sorry, there is no speech nor the words where this voice is not heard. It goes through all the earth. It transcends language, ethnicities, people groups. In fact, it has a universal language of its own. It's constant and it's comprehensive. 
what is its primary message? There is a God, and he is glorious. There is a God, and he is glorious. All that you can see, all that you can feast your eyes upon, that's his handiwork. I'm not sure what your handiwork is that you do in your spare time. That's his handiwork. Therefore, he is worthy of your adoration. He's worthy of your adoration. Romans chapter 1 is similar, although it says something a little bit more shocking about our response to this revelation in creation. Romans 1 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Paul is speaking about the non-Jewish world, those who haven't had the law or the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. For what has been known, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made, so that they are without excuse. Again, this is revelation about God. And notice, friends, it's plain and it's clear. It's plain and it's clear. It's not hidden. It's not blurry, but plain and clear. God has clearly made himself known in what he has made. He is hiding somewhere in the corner of the universe. He is not keeping himself from us like some cruel game of hide and seek. God has made himself known. And more than that, notice this revelation in creation has been perceived, has been perceived or grasped by us as creatures in some way. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. That's why we are without excuse for not worshipping him. We can't say, oh, oh God, when we stand in front of him, we can't say, oh, we didn't know. You didn't didn't tell us. Now the heavens declare the glory of God and what can be known about God? He's shown us in the things that he has made. See, notice, friends, the problem is not in the lack of revelation, is it? The problem is not in God making himself known. What's the problem? The problem is is in our response to the God who has made himself known, which is what we have in verse 21 and 22, right? For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What has humanity generally done with this revelation that comes through what God has made? We've disregarded it and we've dismissed it. It's Why? Well, one of the primary reasons is it's inconvenient. 
It gets in the way of me doing what I want to do and living how I want to live. Because if that's true, then I'm probably accountable to him and he's probably got some say in the trajectory of my life. Well, I don't want that, so I'll just disregard it and dismiss it and, you know, as Romans 1.18 says, I'll suppress it, push it down, so that I can do what I want. So we dishonour him, we've disregarded God and we rejected God and worst of all, notice what it says here, we've replaced him. All that he's meant to be for us, we've tried to find that in other things and other places and other people, treasures of this world and so on. We've replaced him. The heavens might declare the glory of God, but we by nature have dismissed it. And I would venture to say that that's probably something that God doesn't take that lightly. And it's probably something that we shouldn't either take lightly, right? But we are without excuse, as this passage says. Which is is why I'm so glad this is a two-point message today. We've seen God's revelation in creation what, through what he has made and what we by nature just do with it. The second way that God has made himself known is through revelation in his word. Revelation in his word. And this is not just revelation about God. This is revelation of God. So notice this passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. The writer of the Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The writer's clear, isn't it? God is a God who speaks. He always has been. Long ago, in many ways, at many times, God spoke to us through the prophets. Uh, perhaps you've, you've read the book of Genesis or at least started it. The very first lines you will get to, not very far, and you will hear and you will be introduced to the God who speaks, who says, let there be light and there is light. He speaks. And notice, friends, he speaks like no other. No one else speaks like this. I don't know how powerful your words are. I don't know what you can do with your words. We can do, you know, we can do things with our words, right? We can. Like we can build someone up or we can tear them down. We can encourage someone or we can discourage them. We can cut, we can heal. But that's a different ball game. <laughs> Let there be light. And there was light. He's the God who speaks. You can learn a lot about someone by the way they speak, right? And what happens when they speak. You have a conversation with someone and you come away going, oh, that was such a, I was really glad to have met them. Or someone else will like, ooh, all right. I think I'll I'll try and avoid them in the future, maybe. You can learn a lot about someone by the way they speak, or at least by where they're at. What do you learn about God? By the way he speaks. 
We read in the Old Testament, he spoke to Abraham, promising blessing to the world right at the very moment when the whole world is gathered together in rebellion against him, doing their own thing. God makes a covenant promise with Abraham that in his seed, in his descendant, he is going to bless all the families of the earth. That is, he's going to bring the offer of salvation to the whole human race at the very moment when the whole human race is gathered in rebellion against him. Put the context there and then see what he says and what does that tell you about him? See, we have revelation in his word. He spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He spoke to Joseph and to Moses. He spoke it many times in many ways through the prophets and every time he speaks, he makes himself known more clearly. Every time God speaks, it's revelation and it's the revelation of God himself. So that might change the way you do your Bible reading as you come into contact with the very words of God that were spoken and written down and recorded for you as you open it and seek the help of the Spirit of God to engage with the Word of God because God is a God who speaks and he's still speaking. Every time he speaks, it's revelation. Here's a classic example of this actually happening. I don't know whether you know this story. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses makes a request of God. Essentially, he wants God to make himself known. He says to God, show me. Actually, you know, he says please, which is a good thing. He says, please show me your glory. That's a bold request, right? And surprisingly, God agrees to do so. God agrees to do so. And in the very next chapter, it happens. God makes himself known to Moses. God shows Moses his glory. But notice how he does it. He does it by speaking. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Are you hearing the revelation of who God is? In steadfast love and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. God showed Moses who he is. Moses' response to that is totally appropriate. Go back to the book of Hebrews, though, and what we notice is that God's speaking reaches a peak in history. Have a look again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. This is the Everest, if you like, of God's speaking. He speaks to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint 
of his nature and he upholds all things by his word. We've seen the God who speaks and now what we see is the God who saves. Who saves. Here we have the revelation of God in a new way. Notice who this son is. He's the creator. And he's the sustainer. He sustains the whole thing. He's sustaining it now. He's sustaining you and I now. If he took away his sustaining, we would all perish. And he does that how? By his powerful word. He has said it will continue, and so it will continue. And when he says time is up, it will finish. Judgment day will happen and the new heavens and the new earth will come into being. He's the God who saves. He has come in the person of his son, Jesus, to speak to us. He's not speaking through a prophet now. He's not speaking through a miracle now. I mean, he still is. He's not speaking through creation now, although he still is. He has come himself in the person of Jesus to speak to us, to reveal to us who God is and what he's like and what he's done for us. This is the revelation of God in his son. And please, friends, notice it is off the charts at this point. It is off the charts. Which is precisely what John the Apostle records for us in the passage that was read to us. John speaks of someone called the Word who was with God and who was God and who was in the beginning with God and one through whom all things were made and without him nothing was made that was made. Very interesting here, I don't know, you won't pick it up, but in the original language, verse 3, kind of reads like this. It's pretty woody, clunky, so they don't translate it like this. It says something like this. All things became through him, and without him nothing that became became. All things became through him, and without him nothing became that became. Now that might be just a bit of trivia until you get to verse 14. And the word became flesh. The eternal Son of God, the one who was with God in the, in the beginning, the one through whom all things became, himself became. He came among us. He took on human flesh to make himself known to us. This is the revelation of God in his Son. This is God making himself known to us. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. We haven't read the next little bit yet. And that was deliberate. After making 
purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Let me ask you, are you seeing God right now? Are you seeing who he is? What he's like? What he's done for us? After who made purification for sins? Who did that? The word who was with God in the beginning and who was God? Who made? He did. No wonder John says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Grace from God and truth about God. Grace to us and actually truth about us. This is the revelation of God in his word and ultimately in his son. Now, one of the things that we use every week that you probably never even notice as we gather like this are these two projectors. Using them right now, of course. And every few years, probably every, I don't know, six or seven to ten, somewhere like that, I don't know how long it was, we, we actually end up replacing them. Because technology keeps advancing, right? And globes keep getting dimmer. So we replace them. And there's a bunch of questions that you ask when you're looking for a new projector. There's one main question that you look at and um, specification that you look at, and it's the specification around what's called ANSI lumens. ANSI lumens. Don't ask me to explain to you what ANSI lumens are. I don't really know, but I know the more that you have of them, the brighter the projector. I'm pretty sure that's right. Someone correct, can correct me if I'm wrong. And I can kind of remember when, we first, when I first was involved in buying a projector, this is going back a while now, probably early 2000s, I think the ANSI lumens that we got then was 1,200. No projectors, you're probably going, oh, wow. These, I think, are 6,000. I think. Not 1,200, pretty awesome. Yes, 1,200, wow. Now it's 6,000. That's one of the things that you need to ask the question about because you want clarity in terms of what you're trying to display. But there's another thing that you think about also that's quite important. It's what you project it onto. It's what receives the brightness of the display. And so there's a reason why we didn't paint these walls navy blue. They needed to be at least reasonably light, preferably somewhat white colour. Because what receives the display makes a difference to how what the display is sending is seen. I hope you've seen this morning that when it comes to the revelation of God, it couldn't be brighter. 
It couldn't be brighter. The heavens, the speaking and the sun ultimately coming. It couldn't be more glorious, more astonishing, more beautiful. What's the problem? The problem's with us. That which receives the revelation with our hearts and our clarity. Because in our rebellion, our thinking has become futile and our unbelieving hearts have become darkened. So rather than responding to the God who makes himself known, what do we do? We forge little alternative gods for ourselves and ignore the true and living God. And so we kind of begin to finish where we started. We need help from God. We need revelation also through the power of his Holy Spirit. Which I think is why John records an encounter with a man named Nicodemus quite early in his gospel. Because Nicodemus comes to Jesus thinking he's pretty clear on the things of God. He comes to him and he says, uh, we know you're a teacher come from God. You know, I got this. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You'll miss it completely. Nicodemus says to him, "Uh, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now we're seeing how clear Nicodemus is on things. He's completely baffled by that. Jesus actually says to him in the same passage, "Um, you're a teacher in Israel and you should know this because in Ezekiel it speaks about this. But he's missed that revelation too. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, which is a direct uh, reference to Ezekiel, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, that might sound a bit harsh. But the good news is this. God is in the business of opening blind eyes. And he's in the business of giving us new birth by his Holy Spirit. This is what he does in the lives of all who come to him in repentance and faith. Only God can do this, and he will, if you'll turn to him and put your trust in him. So what are we to do? Well, we're to turn from our own wisdom and rebellion in repentance towards him. Nicodemus had to put all his preconceived ideas about God aside, and he needed to receive the revelation of God in his son Jesus afresh. And so do we. Like Nicodemus, we are to put our trust in Jesus who has lifted up on a cross for us, who has shown us who God is, what he's like, and what he's done for us. That's actually what it looks like to come into relationship with God through Jesus. That's what it means to become a Christian. What makes it so unique? It's not about us clambering our way to try and get to God. It's God has made himself known. And he graciously works in us by his spirit and we respond to his revelation with his help. 
And friends, if you already know him, knowing him is not a once-of thing we do. It's a life, long relationship of knowing him more and more in his word and in his son. Think of Moses' prayer. Did Moses already know God when he said, please show me your glory? Did he already know him? Yeah. Kind of, um, you know, been hanging out with him for a while. Um, Red Sea, plagues, out of Egypt. But he wants more. He wants to know him more. And he knows God needs to show him more if that's to happen. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, I pray that the God of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And he's writing to Christians. Is that your prayer? Lord, I'm not brilliant at picking this eternal, astonishing realities up. Please help me. Please show me by your Holy Spirit through your word, your glory. Please help me to know what is the hope that we have, your great power for those of us who believe. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Please show me. Is that your prayer? That should be until you meet him face to face. And then you'll know him for eternity. The Bible says we see now as in a dark glass, a little bit foggy, right? It's enough to blow our minds, but one day we'll see face to face. There's more revelation up ahead. This isn't as good as it gets, even though it's awesome. When you, when you grasp things about Jesus and about who he is and what he's done and you're captivated by that, that's, that's, take your breath away, but there's more. Can we finish with this? Friends, how good is our God? Think about it. He hasn't left us groping around in the dark trying to find him. He's made himself known to us which tells us something really wonderful, doesn't it? He desires relationship with us. You see that? He wants to be known by you and to know you. The God that the heavens declare is awesome, wants to know you and me. He's spoken to us many times and in many ways, and in these last days he has come among us and he's made purification for our sins, for yours and for mine. His glory has been revealed. What will you do in response? Will you do like Moses? What did Moses do? Well, it says he bowed to the ground and worshipped. Reverenced God and he delighted in him. That's the right response to Revelation. Uh, King David, long before the peak of God's revelation arrived in Jesus, said this, and we'll finish with this. 
O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's an invitation right there to enjoy the God who has made himself known. And I want to say it's a bit more than an invitation. I think it's an exhortation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Because he's worthy. Will you do that? Will we bow our heads now and do that? You might be at different stages, everyone in this room. You might have known God for 50 years. You might be still trying to work out who he is. Hopefully today you've seen where he's made himself known most clearly. And by his Holy Spirit, with his help, you can take whatever that next step is for you in responding to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again that you have not left us in the dark, that you are the God who speaks. You've spoken in many ways at various times through the prophets. But in these last days, you have spoken to us by your son, your son, Jesus. We thank you for this clear and glorious and captivating revelation of who you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming among us. Though you're eternal and sovereign creator of all things, sustainer of everything, we thank you for becoming yourself so that you might lay down your life for us, make purification for our sins and rise again and sit down at the majesty on high, reigning over everything until you return and we see more of who you are. Father, please help us not to refuse to honour you. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Please help us to rejoice in knowing you because you've made it possible. Please help us to look and to behold at what you have revealed in your word and in your son. And may we, like Moses, bow down and worship. May we heed and listen to and respond to David's awesome invitation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.